Hello and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zain Nabi. Today, we're going old school. No millennials, no Gen Z, just old school, let's call them boomers. Courtney Fries, the man who won the Premier Soccer League with Manning Rangers, and the man who flies all around the world. He Right now, he's in Yaounde, Cameroon, in the family home, Francis and Quayne, the man who cuts deals, the man who's the sports media executive, the man who racks up more miles than Rishi Sunak. I hope you lads are well. Tell me, what is making news in your world? I'll start saying um, we lost again this weekend. So This is your over 35 or 45? Over or 50. 45 team. That takes us up to 11 straight losses in a row. Um I think we're going to get relegated, Zane. I tore my hamstring. It's still not doing well. Oh, dude, that's horrible. Um, but I, I, I think we're going to get relegated. 11th Where do you get relegated to? Good question. I was wondering that. Uh, we play in the uh, over forty-five over Premier Division. <laughs> so we will go. We'll drop out of the Premier Division um, to those that uh, don't play football but just go out because their wives don't want them in the house. <laughs> oh Courtney well we always want you in our house and we always want you around our bride and just know you'll never get relegated here <laughs> you'll always get a game you'll always get a game in our family I think he, it, it's true to say he will never walk alone <laughs> <laughs> there you go there you go well listen wow. Our man on the continent, Mr. Nkwain, how are you doing? What's keeping you busy? Oh, very well, very well. Thank you, brother. An absolute pleasure being with you gentlemen this evening. Um, always a joy to be on the motherland, or in the motherland, on the motherland. It's, it's a pleasure being here, uh, feeling rather spiritual. And um, picking up all the dregs, uh, the fallout from the recently ended AFCON. Conversation remains rife about mm -hmm. just how spectacular this tournament was. And I think it has gone a long way to remind many, many, many people just how powerful the sport is and just how much it is more than a sport to us as a continent and as a people. And it's a pleasure, therefore, to chop it up with you this evening as we all uh, recover from our withdrawal of symptoms. Huh? Well, listen, you've said it exactly what I was thinking of. I mean, I can't wait for two years. Was it 18 months? For two and a half years for the it's next competition to come. It's going to be in June this time around. Yeah. Or next let's time. Well, let, let, let's see. Let's see. What, what, yes, that's true. Because they mm -hmm. want to put the cup, club, cup, world, club, cup, whatever. That's cool. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, wherever it happens, wherever it happens, we, we certainly can't wait for it to take place. But I'm going to go through a couple of some of the talkers that are still relevant and newsworthy post-AFCON because... We're here to talk about African football. We're here around Africa's biggest braai. And something that doesn't quite keep me up at night and isn't quite the million-dollar question, it's probably closer to the $64,000 question, is around Victor Osman. The man was an absolute star for Napoli last year. He was the pivot on which that team season swung, bringing them the um, first cadetto since Maradona was there, top scorer in La Liga. But this AFCON, I was really expecting him to make a huge impact. I know when we did the post-mortem on the AFCON, coach 
from the Shirtless Plantain Show, a podcast that we were working with in collaboration with during the tournament, made the case that Osserman had an absolutely outstanding tournament despite the goals because he was still incredibly hard to mark. He was the guy that defenders were going for, and he's the player you didn't want to spend your time marking. I think Courtney made a similar argument. But what keeps me up in those moments before I fall to sleep is, is Victor Osserman the real deal? He was meant to be a star in the mold of Drogba, in this mold of Eto. But at the biggest tournament, he didn't do what he was meant to do. He didn't bang the goals into the net. Lookman had a better tournament, in my opinion, scored more goals. Am I being unfair, gentlemen? What do you think? Is Osman the real deal? Zayn, I think, firstly, yes. You don't do to Napoli what he's done, spearheading a team like that. Uh, and you don't do to you don't look you look at his his record for Nigeria as well. The guy scores goals, but like every good goal scorer, you go through a drought period. The thing I liked about him is that w during this difficult period, his amount of work he was putting in for the team. So nothing's going right. He's not hitting the net uh, regularly. He's not in form. Okay, right. But if we're gonna carry you. You got to be make yourself carryable. There's no such a word, so I'm creating a word. You got to make yourself carryable. You got to get out there and work hard. And this is what he did for the team. If you looked his motivation for the team, to use the word that he had an outstanding tournament, that is wrong. No, that's wrong. Listen, if you're a cricketer, you go out there, you're opening batsmen, you go to score runs. If you don't score runs, you don't do your job. He has not had an outstanding tournament. But from a teammate's perspective, bought into the team ethic, worked exceptionally hard. Um, but real deal, absolutely. That guy can play and that guy is a good goal scorer. Well, it's hard to argue with what uh, Brother Courtney just said. Um, but I come from a slightly different standpoint. Um, I have... Never been a very, very big Osman fan anyway. Um, I like him. Mm -hmm. I think his stats will speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. But his style of play, um, he's like a battering rod striker who has some good touches. If you know what I mean? So he works well with old school football. And I think he may struggle with playing in a three, so to speak. And I think when he goes to play for Nigeria, we see that quite often. Because even in their qualifying games, his stats with Nigeria over the last three years have not been particularly brilliant, if you actually go and look at those. So when he's playing in a different type of formation. Now, at Napoli, they played him in a role and they set up a team to use him as... The, the tip of their spear, so to speak. So for Cameroon, for example, we even have a player in Zambo Angisa who plays exceptionally well with Napoli and doesn't deliver the same kind of quality of football for Cameroon. So I think for me, my standpoint is to compare his play with Nigeria, with his play with Napoli is a little bit unfair because he plays, he performs a completely different role in both spaces because of the nature of the formations that those teams use. Even if you look at a player like oh, his new coach, Mazari, 
he said as recently as I think even yesterday or early today or something, he was saying he might not even play the Champions League game because he's tired. Um, so they have him on like a recuperation uh, training program. And I think that's because of the exertions, because what he was doing for his team was truly phenomenal. And I think that's what uh, coach was referring to when he was speaking, saying he put himself about. He made himself available uh, as an outlet. He carried defenders with him. But the point you're making is, but if you're the striker, if you're the man, and if you're the African player of the year, um, you should be doing a bit more of that. More exactly. Than, exactly. And for me, he reminds me a little bit of Konate, um, like an African player of the year that a lot of people still look at and go, really? Um, I'm one of those guys. I I don't think he's the footballing genius that you should be to be able to win our Africans' best player. But I think he's a good nine and he does a great job. He did a fantastic job last year for a club that hadn't won the Scudetto since Maradona days. That's nice. But I don't know. It's not my kind of player. Yeah, and listen, I, I just, I, I, I'll sort of maybe towel ball in this and I'll go because we're going to talk about this player a little later in the show. Uh, Emilio Ensueo, you know, he had a fantastic tournament. He did what he was meant to do on the tin, bang goals in for Equatorial Guinea. Yes, they got unlucky in the knockouts, but he had a phenomenal story and a phenomenal tournament. And then you look at somebody like Sebastian Haller, who virtually on one leg comes in and scores goals that count for the ghosts that are the Ivory Coast. Um, and that's, for me, what top strikers do. They bang it in and they score in those moments. And I know people will make the case that, you know, and Sueo probably didn't do it when he needed to. But for the majority of the time in the tournament, I would argue he did. I agree with you. And I think he also did all those other things that we are applauding um, Osimhen for. So he also led by example. He ran his socks off. He took the hits. He pulled the defenders away and created space for others. Um, the same happened with many other players. But I think scoring one goal in a tournament where you played all the way through till the finals and ah, not good enough, in my opinion, oh, to oh, be the best African player. That's I, my point. I, I would agree with that as well. Absolutely. That title has to come with attributes. His attribute that he's famous for and supposedly exceptionally good at is what he didn't showcase. So, yes, you, you can't put that badge of honor on him at this point in time. Well, listen, we've spoken about the man at the sharp end of the pitch, but somebody that I don't want us to lose focus is, is Ronwin Williams, the South African and Sundown shot stopper, phenomenal tournament, won the Golden Glove, um, infamous for saving four penalties against Cape Verde. I'm sure a nightmare for them, a hero for South African fans like myself. The question I'll pose to the both of you is, is Ronwin due a move to one of the big leagues in Europe? Is it time now that he gets that opportunity? Do I start? Yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead, big man. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm one of those people who is a firm believer that when, if something isn't broke, don't fix it. Um, he's already 32. That's where I'm going to start. In goalkeeping terms, all right. You can say he maybe has another 
three, four, five years at the top of his game. Um, and then he could probably do, do a job for another three years after that. Um, but if he's moving because it's a payday, all right, I can put an agent's hat on and say, yes, it's the time for the world to know you exist and make a case for it. But I think the world already knows he exists. And I think there was something beautiful in the undertone, like the underpinning message that South Africa was at this tournament, that on this continent, we have exceptional talent that remains on the continent. Now, he plays for a team that pays him well. Now, if there's a case to be made for whether you increase how much they earn, or that's why the... the Super League has come in to, to create other opportunities for people to remain domiciled on the continent and earn their keep in comparison with similar talent elsewhere. So for me, I think there's a more beautiful story in him seeing out his career at home. If he were to move, let's say another great South African coach makes his way to another one of our other big superpowers on the continent and he moves to that kind of club okay saudi arabia has opened its doors to coach or talent particularly from the senegalese space where we see people like mendy uh going over there but for me that's because it's there's a payday element to it he has demonstrated that head and shoulders he is one of the best, if not the best goalkeeper we have on the continent at present. And he has done so playing for South Africa as a nation and playing in South Africa with his league football. And I think that should only be used to garner further attention to the amazing league that is the PSL. And I think more and more people need to be able to give it more credit for what it is and the talent that it harbors, and that may attract other talented individuals to believe that they can seek their own success, because the success primarily has to be that you represent your nation. So he didn't have to go abroad to be able to represent his nation. In Cameroon, that's what we suffer. If you don't leave the country, you're not going to play for the national team. So whilst we're battling with those kind of things, we all turned and looked at South Africa and went, hey, and people here are now saying, why are we looking at our domestic players Maybe they have more hunger. Maybe because we know they have the same talent, they leave here and then go elsewhere. They don't develop the talent over there. They had it already and then they went out. So they showcase it somewhere mm -hmm. else. So for me, I'm happy for him to stay. And I think he's at the kind of age where maybe uh, his 17, 18 year old equivalent, it's what he represents to that person that is more important to me. And I think the ability to say, I am okay here, and maybe then the club can look at it and say, he got offers from Inter Milan, but he turned it down to stay here. And he was maybe going to earn $3 million over there, but he's going to earn $2 million and stay here. That's a powerful story. And a lot more of our sons and daughters can believe that they can fulfill their dreams, their ambitions, and their career paths on home soil. I think it's powerful. I like, I like the narrative of what you're saying, Francis, in that, you know, it gives the country that we are from and the countries that we are from, it gives him a lot of credit that the players stay. So I'll, I'll start there. Um, for me, Ronwin won't go anywhere. Firstly, I think he gets paid 
an exceptionally huge amount of money. So the economics won't make sense, number one. For, for Ronwin to move, he's going to have to go into one of the top leagues in the world. At the age of 32, is someone willing to do that for him at this point in time? I don't think so. And Courtney, not to cut you off in any way, if I'm correct, and we've had um, the likes of Stanley Matthews on from Supersport United, where he was explaining that in the Premier Soccer League, you know, our top players can earn between 10000 to 30000 US dollars a month to play in a domestic league your top players will do that. And you don't get many richer than sundowns on the African continent. So I didn't want to stop you there, but just to mm. put it in context for people listening, Absolutely. it's the, a very lucrative league to play in. Absolutely. Ronan must be one of the highest paid players in that league. And let's be honest, there's a man works in the business directly. What would you be doing as his agent, Mr. Nguyen, coming back from such a successful AFCON? What would you be doing? Uh, I'd like you to downgrade my client's um, contract. Hell no, it wouldn't happen. You would be going back to the board and saying, look at how he's performed. He's world-renowned. Now people know him and want him. He loves this club. Bump his contract. It goes beyond the 500K that he's currently being paid at Sundowns. So he'll go nowhere. He'll he'll stay in South Africa. He'll continue to play at the biggest club in, in South Africa. I think he'll end his, his days there. But I do like the fact that your dreams are not... The, 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 the storyline it creates is that your dreams can be fulfilled where you come from. You don't have to go somewhere else. I'm sitting at a house in England because my dreams as a young South African boy were... I'm going to have to go out. I I, I, I want to go out and do more. I had to leave. Um, Ronwin doesn't have to. So Ronwin can stay. Ronwin can pick up the check and he can build the legacy. I think that's a great way to end it there. Somebody whose story I do not believe is fully written just yet is Chris Hutton. He is uh, no longer with the Black Stars. We know it didn't end very well. The team were eliminated at the AFCON. And he was relieved of his duties very shortly after. But the Ghanaian Football Association is riddled with a lot of problems. And because Chris is at the front end and the show window for that, I feel like he bears the brunt of that. I have to remind viewers, two things I'm going to declare an interest first. I like Chris. I think Chris is somebody who's a football man, who's really smart and really good at what he's done. And his resume and body of work speaks for itself. But what I would like to remain bl remind Blackstar fans is that Chris Hutton got a pretty average Ghanaian team qualified for the World Cup in Qatar, where they knocked out a far superior Nigerian team. And they also, in the group stages, they, they, they finished ahead of a very decent South African team. And Chris, in his capacity as technical advisor, worked really well. I don't think his story is written, guys. I think he was unfairly treated by the media, made to be the scapegoat for a lot of systemic issues at the Ghana Football Association. And I think he still has a lot to offer the sport. I'd like to jump in there first, Francis, if you don't mind. Um, I, I agree with you, Zane. Watching the abuse of such a good football man was something that I did, it didn't sit well with me. And which actually irritates me. So I, I've got to not let my kettle that's boiling overrun yet. But what I will say to you is that 
he also made it attractive to play for Ghana. Look at the players he brought into that camp, number one. Look at the, the leadership structure he brought into that camp, number two. And now you got players that were never representing Ghana, all of a sudden coming to represent Ghana. Players with absolutely wonderful careers that they are still going to have in the game, like Lamptey at Brighton, uh, such a youngster. Um, you know, all these people were choosing Ghana. Now, um, football, as you know, the saying is, it doesn't always go your way. Things go against you. It just is, it deserves to be treated better. Let's not forget what Chris Hutton has also done at teams that got relegated. Norwich, Newcastle. Don't, don't forget the job that was done there when nobody wanted the jobs. He went in there and resurrected these teams and brought it back. And as soon as it's brought back, Sam Allardyce becomes famous and they gave him the Newcastle job all of a sudden. Now, Chris Hutton, that's brought the team back from nowhere where the, their hero, Alan Shearer, couldn't save them. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it's now an attractive job and he's no more attractive. Now, I think what he needs to do is he needs to take himself, put himself into a technical role somewhere. Um, because that level of mastermind has to be used to cultivate another good coach. So I think you'll be best suited in that level of job. But let's not disrespect what he's done. Absolutely. I think you gentlemen have said it all. I mean, I can't help but agree with the majority of what you've said. Um, one of the things, I mean, to be very specific about the Ghana setup, um, it's 40 years since they last won an AFCON. 40 years is not four years. 40 years is not 14 years. 40 years is four zero, four decades that they haven't won. And this gentleman is given maybe between 10 or 12 games. And then you're judged based on that, which are high pressured games. But at the same time, you're trying to build a whole system, which was the original role that he had was, well, take a look at this advisors technically let's or directors technically and then they say well actually coach the team it, itself or manage the team itself one of the things we have to learn as africans is we must afford time to our processes we have a tendency to react to the moment when we need cool heads the success of the Senegalese team, and I can't say this enough, was in its management structure's ability to stay true to their course. And it took them eight and a half years to deliver a winning Senegalese team. In South Africa, we were bantering before, and I, I remember teasing you two gentlemen about Hugo <laughs> Bruce, because in Cameroon, sure. I could not understand why we let him go after our win. Because as far as I was concerned, I was like, he understands our space. He can put up with the chaos and still deliver success. Now, what you want to be able to do is tap into that mindset and build a system. And that's why, as we let him go, at BOA, you remember uh, Zane, we were together. We instead invited him to BOA and honored him. And I remember having a conversation with him and saying, coaches and managers are so underappreciated in our space because the work is judged on the 90 minutes as opposed to the 90 hours that they put into every week 
to be in touch with players, like Courtney said, to convince them to, to give their best within a system that is hard to work with. We're gonna talk about in Sue. Our, our, our systems are very difficult spaces for professionals. And I was more impressed by Chris's ability to come into the Ghanaian system and at no point in time, at no press conference, in no offline briefing, did he ever complain about a system that I know was foreign to every fiber of his being because he has worked at the top tier of the game for many years and knows what it takes to be able to manage when every other thing is being done. When you're dealing with a team where you're wondering where your kit is coming from, um, how you're traveling, they we had celebrated their travel plans to South Africa. This was changed like two days before and they had to go to Kumasi because there wasn't a budget to... Hey, did he complain? Did he say something? Everybody forgets all of that now. And they're just like, well, the team didn't win. With two minutes to go to the end of that game, they were 2-0 up. We want to focus on those players on the pitch who can let slip a 2-0 lead that was taking you into the next round. I mean, the only ones who can do that is Courtney's team, right? 11 yes. games down. <laughs> <laughs> the, the over 45s <laughs> maybe it was them playing <laughs> but these guys make this team lose and nobody turns their attention to the players on the pitch and we immediately say that's the coach well what about the credit for those 88 minutes that took you to 2-0 <laughs> all of a sudden it's like those remaining two minutes that ended up being a defeat or a draw. I can't remember if it was the final. I mean, all I knew was that they ended up leaving the tournament and it was like, ah, oh, this was so horrible. He needs to be sacked. And you're like, that's not going to fix your problems. And if the Ghanaians as a people cannot understand that they need to deep dive on themselves, on their systems and on their ambitions within the game, they will struggle. And a lot of the best Ghanaian talent will again make find its success by leaving early. So when we look at boys like Kudos, uh, we're looking at boys now like um, Osman, who's just joining uh, Brighton. All of these right to dream players who are coming out of Ghana, for example. It is not because of Ghana that they are becoming successful. It is in spite of. And I keep saying this, we need to understand that a person's nationality does not mean that the nation built you. And so we want to take credit sometimes for things that are not our fabrication. So when we have people who are willing to come and work with our chaos, we must afford them the time and we must develop the capacity to be willing to learn and adopt some of these things so we can have systems that when the people change, the results don't. Right now, all Ghana can say is for 40 years, we have failed. So you said, Chris Hewton, you have continued to fail. It's not his fault. And if you don't do that part of the work, you keep repeating it for another 40 years. Francis, that's what the young kids call the mic drop moment. And I think that is the mic drop because <laughs> I'm in agreement and I'm sure Courtney is. We're all pretty much singing on the same hymn sheet there. Um, and Chris, if you're listening to this pod, we've had you on, you're a friend of the show. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting you several times, not as many as Francis, 
Um, and I just want to say, I can't wait to see you bounce back. You're a dignified man, so you don't um, talk badly about the places you've been, even though some of those houses haven't treated you with the respect you deserve. But I know you'll land somewhere great and you'll get the love you deserve. So I, I want to say something, Zain. I want to yeah, just extend, um, because we fired our manager um, after the 11th straight loss on the weekend. So we have a vacancy. <laughs> we, we, we play. How far is the drive from Enfield to uh to Essex? Oh, no. Dagenham, Redbridge. Uh, that's where we play. That's our home ground. The, 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 wow. We play there. So I will speak to Mr. Francis. Let Mr. Houston know we have no manager at the moment. So technically, Chris could play himself. We yes, yes he could. Yes. Um, I think he could play better than most of us. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> And he could even bring Ken, his son, along. He too could probably qualify to play. Yeah, we we are. He played professional football. As we well. are not scraping the barrel. We are honest. We are a three-legged donkey trying to win in a in a steeds race. <laughs> All well, right. Listen, I wish you well. Listen, we've got we've got two more talkers to go through. Um, one is going to be on um Emilio and Sue. Um, listen, if I was, you know, looking at player of the tournament. He's my man. Equatorial Guinea, absolutely on fire on the group stages. Um, coming out of the group stages, um, they were probably my pick to win the tournament. I just loved what I was seeing from them and the energy with um, Emilio um, and Suero up front doing a lot of damage. I think it was um, four goals. It was a five goals in four games. Um, but there is a lot of drama that is currently unfolding between him and a few of the players and the Equatorial Guinea uh, Football Federation. For those of you who don't know, I will briefly bring you up to speed. Um, the striker has been suspended indefinitely by the country's Football Federation. They say because it allegedly involved several episodes of serious indiscipline during the Cup of Nations. Um, uh, and Sueo has fired back that, um, you know, refuting those reports and saying that the Federation embezzled, allegedly embezzled one million euros worth of bonuses and fees during the tournament. And it said the team arrived at the tournament not with the sufficient equipment ready to play. Um, we're reflecting both sides because we don't want to be seen to be picking a side uh, in this obviously serious allegations both ways. Um, but gentlemen, what a sad, sad ending for Equatorial Guinea at the tournament. And yes, they did lose um, in the knockout rounds. Uh, they were eliminated 1-0 uh, um, by, um, by um, uh, Guinea. Um, surprise, uh, last 16 knockout. But what a really sad ending to the tournament. And one where we would have hoped that this was a team that could have kicked on and done something really successful during the uh, World Cup qualifiers. Sorry, Zane. When I saw the story, it didn't make sense to me. How can you have such an accurate figure, number one? You know, he didn't say they embezzled 100, uh, 120,000. He had an accurate figure of how much was actually being embezzled. Um, and I just thought to myself, yeah, this could almost be true. This could be true, you know. Uh, and as you know, sometimes telling the truth, people don't like it. They don't. I also think 
a lot has got to do with his penalty miss. <laughs> I really do. I think a lot has been thrown at him. How dare he? You know, don't forget the South Korean that knocked out Italy uh, in the 2002 World Cup. He came back to it. He was playing for Udinese in Italy, came back, and then they terminated his contract, sent him back home when he got back to Italy. So don't, let's not forget about that. The, the politics of football is politics. That's where the word comes from, you know. So um, a sad ending to a, a team that did fantastically well. Gave us such joy during the tournament, man. Yeah, they were on fire. And, Absolutely. And just, you know, we, we, we do this pod because we celebrate our legends. Um, and we want to be that platform that does that. And we also want to be a platform where we can genuinely talk about things that impact our football. And it just feels like this is a story and a film we've seen over and over again. Great tournament. Momentum there. And... Match fees and bonuses is where these things get unstuck. Well, I'm going to say what I always say. Systems. The failure of most of our countries is in our inability to build systems. And we still deal a lot in cash. The problem we also have with cash is accountability. We still have systems or processes that are very political and very highly opinionated. So what you're seeing in Equatorial Guinea is not dissimilar to the conversations that you will be having in Nigeria. You will be having the same conversations in the Ivory Coast in a few months' time. You will have the same conversations in Cameroon. You may have them in South Africa. I don't know. You seem to have better developed systems than most of us because if there's anything you guys do have is systems but um what i'm trying to get at here is we have federations and structures around the game that are run by people who very rarely have the expertise or the prerequisite skills to run such operations this one million we're talking about the president, after they won their game against, uh, I'm trying to remember what game it was. I think it was against the hosts, against Ivory Coast. So oh, the president, no. When we thought yes. the Ivory Coast were knocked out. <laughs> right. And the president then makes a declaration that night that there's a million dollars to be divided to the team for this brilliant victory that they've done. As far as the players are concerned, come and chop that money out to us right now, whatever it is, because that's how we hear it. Now, whether they're educated enough to understand the systems or the system doesn't exist, so there isn't one via which said funds will be distributed, at some point in time where you have power, money, funneled into an international space, there are rules and regulations. But if these things aren't explained to people or a system isn't put in place that allows people to know, okay, we have your bank details. Uh, if you're entitled to $100,000, we're going to wire your $100,000 to X account and you can check it on your phone and see it. If the player doesn't have an account or maybe they didn't open it with a bank that can do an inter... Whatever. There are all kinds of reasons. But one thing we always never have is good communication. So very often you have the players with the strongest characters and maybe the most comfortable financial means end up becoming the voices of maybe the less fortunate. What you end up with is a power struggle where then those voices get crushed. So the powers 
the powers that be will say, well, you're being insubordinate. This is not how you speak to me. In with most teams, when I allude to the, the Ivorian case, they have qualified, played a tournament, won. Uh, a few days ago, the president received the team, the squad, everybody, and announced bonuses. Uh, $50,000, uh, well, $100,000 to each player and a house, another $100,000 house. So if there are 27 players in the squad, I, I am positive there aren't 27,000, $27,000 houses that all look the same that are built and standing somewhere. But they would probably be the properties that were built to house the players for the tournament, and they will divvy these properties up to each one of the players on site. But you will find out that maybe the squad was actually 35, or maybe only 22 of them will receive, and five of that 27-man squad, for some reason, won't receive. There were there was $400,000, or actually, it's a million dollars, because it's 400 million CFA. So that's about call it a million dollars that the president then says this goes to the technical and coaching staff for example now my question is the guy who was sacked does he get a cut because his name will be on the sheet but because there wouldn't there isn't a system in place at some point in time in three months time or in four months time you will hear whispers of oh you know like the awards we got or the money that we were paid, I didn't get mine. And then when you speak with the guy on the other side, he would say, well, actually, you were supposed to come and collect the cash. And then the guy said, but if I collected the cash, I can't travel with the cash. It's in CFA. I can't use that as soon as I leave the country anyway. But the person who wants to pay me wants to convert it to euros, but at a, at a bizarre exchange rate. So I said no. So I didn't collect it. And then I flew back out. And it's been six months since I last came back to the country. But in between, I'm going to speak to the fact that I didn't receive it. So now this person is in line. You haven't received it. The other person also is in line. They haven't given it to you, but they have it. They have it assigned to you. But there's interest being accrued on this money in a bank account. or And it's the absence of systems. And that's why for me, the brains that we have, that we are developing outside of our continent, must come home. We must take the best practices. We must be looking at what the English FA does. When they go for the World Cup, they don't collect. We talk. We still talk about match bonuses and appearance fees. The England players, since 1996, a set of players in 1996 agreed that they would donate their earnings to charity through the uh, 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 Players Foundation or something that they created. The truth is, nobody really knows it. If you go and ask Sterling them now, or okay, Sterling doesn't play for England, he doesn't get called up. But if you go and ask um, Foden, Saka, or, yes, or Saka, say, okay, he doesn't expect to receive any money. But the truth is, he probably doesn't even know how much he gets paid. Now, there's a whole set of people, boys and girls, who since 1996 came together to set this kind of thing up and they have representatives of the players who come in, but there's an accounting firm, there's a, a bank account sitting somewhere. There's a whole operation that could be doing some illicit work with this money that none of the players knows about. But the difference is they don't care because 
they don't even factor this money into their mindsets. Now, in Africa, our players still, if you tell a guy that there's $100,000 available for you, hey, it's still big money to three quarters of that squad. There may be three, four players in that squad that may be making decent money. But in most of our squads, that's a lot of money to most guys. So that's why the big earners like Nsue, he's not even a big earner, but like the guys with the bigger shoulders, sometimes they want to speak for the others. But then they get pushed out. And then you would hear, oh, it's insubordination, it's indiscipline, and then they get banned. How are you banning the guy that single-handedly carried you guys this far and you still have World Cup qualifiers coming up? Won the golden boot. <laughs> yeah, he just won the golden boot. And you want to qualify for the next tournament and now you want to do it without him because you think you're... <laughs> and it's those moments that you look at and you go, I'm sure there was a better way you could have fixed this. And mm. they will fix it. A phone call will be made and Sue will be summoned back home to uh, Bata or to Malabo and the official will come and the official will be the cousin of order and they will break bread and they will come to an understanding and this will be water under the bridge. But it will reappear in Mozambique tomorrow or it will surface in Cameroon tomorrow or it will surface in Tunisia tomorrow. Our nations need to build better systems. I cannot say this enough. Listen, I think you've given a great answer there, Francis. Was was wonderful. Get your perspective. Um, I think what we'll do now is we will bring the pod to a close. But just before we do, uh, with our final question, for those of you listening out there, we've had different opinions. We've had opinions where we've overlapped. We've had opinions where we've had the difference of opinion. If you're listening out there, please get in touch with us. OTW underscore podcast um, on Instagram. And on X, notice I don't call it Twitter. Um, also, search for us. You did. <laughs> it's for the boomers like me and you who, who need to know. Um, search for On The Whistle podcast on YouTube and Facebook. Please don't just do On The Whistle. You're going to be taking some Arsenal podcast. You want to come here. You want to join Africa's biggest bride. So it's On The Whistle podcast. Just one more word more. Alistair has told me that. Everyone keeps getting taken to this Gunners blog. We're not the Gunners blog. We're so much bigger and better. Well, better. Um, and um, <laughs> watch all the Arsenal fans come at me now. Um, and of course, post a comment, leave a review. Tell us if you agree or disagree. We really want to hear from you. But to end the podcast off, um, I just want to obviously highlight some excellent work Rio Ferdinand's podcast has done. Five, um, their YouTube channel, their YouTube show, um, whatever platform you get their content on. Um, they did an exclusive interview with Jose Mourinho, uh, former Roma manager. They went to Lisbon, they spoke to him. And um, one of the things that um, Jose opened, about, opened up about uh, was his love for African players. He's worked with some of the greatest in the game, Didier Drogba, Michael Essien, Mikhail John Obi, Benny McCarthy who won a Champions League with him at Porto. Um, and he spoke about loving working with African players. Um, Courtney, I know you tuned in, you listened to the podcast. Why is it that he loves uh, African players? Well, Zane, I, I can't give a 100% answer to that, but I'll try my best to put it together. He, he, he spoke about a story about Michael Essien. And how Michael Essien, he sees him as his son. 
because when Michael Essien played with him at Chelsea and then went on to play for him at Real Madrid, and then during the offseason took him back to Ghana with him. He went back to Ghana with um, Mourinho. And, and he said, just being able to be out there and go and how, see how Michael treated him and he treated Michael Essien, all of this, Zayn, for goodness sake, you know, um, his relationship with the players, mm -hmm. I think why he really likes um, the, the the African players. I, I think he really has a large amount of respect for them, you know, uh, because of their openness. There's the word I need to use. Their sure. openness towards him and towards sharing with him their lives. This is what, what came across um, in, a, in a conversation I had him talk about. And and respect is another thing, and that is something that I think he talks about the African players and their respect. Um, I think that one of the uh, things he jokes about is um, how uh, Essien calls him daddy for those the age difference isn't that big. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and Francis Courtney, you'll know this on the continent. Um, you call your elders uncle, or sometimes you call them daddy, or you call them. You know, father. It's like a respect. It's uh, it's also a very loving, respectful way. So it's a term of endearment. I know to those um, maybe listening off the continent, it sounds a bit strange, but the African player, in many ways, Francis, is respectful, hardworking, takes instruction, and values the opportunity to play. Very, very old school. I, I don't mean to make it sound any different, but. Brought up with those old school values that Mourinho would have been used to. I think you 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 said it perfectly. These old school values are the values that still underpin our homes, and so human relationship remains of tremendous importance to us. And therefore, this the sense of entitlement that has crept into football. I know a lot of the times, a lot of commentators talk about Mourinho being the old guard and he has to learn how to deal with this new generation of players. And and I think for him, everywhere he went, even when he turned up at Manchester United, his first player he signed at Manchester United was an African, an Ivorian, the Ivorian defender, Baby. Eric Bailly. Yeah. That was his first signing at United. Spent £30 million to buy this young Ivorian defender, and everybody was like, who, why? But for him, he, he, I remember we had the opportunity once to delve into his mind. Um, and this is when he signed Adebayor, uh, took Adebayor to Real Madrid. To Real Madrid. Six months. And he said, yes. And he said for him in his dressing room, it's very important for him to have people who still appreciate and value the opportunity that is football. He says it's a sport. That's all it is. And it comes with its extras, its fame, its money, and all of that. But at the end of the day, we must put it into context. In the grand scheme of humanity, it's just a sport. And it brings joy to many people. In the same way, it's undulating jeopardy, brings some sadness in some moments. But overall, it brings a lot of joy. And for him, he felt that through the African players, he's able to instill in his dressing room a sense of proportionality, a sense of reason. And he always said this thing, and he repeated it on this podcast, that with his African players, he has this ability to 
still have the human connection. And so whether they're calling him daddy and he's joking a little punt at the 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 age thing, they're like, uh, you if you're <laughs> I'm ten years older than you, I, I couldn't be your dad. So why are you calling me dad? You know. But in like you rightly put, it's it's a cultural thing. It's an a respect for like you taking me under your wing is as good as being my father. So in this space, that's what you are. If you are the manager of a club, a lot of the players at United saw Alex Ferguson and yeah. yeah. David Beckham did. He's like a father figure. And I think we're losing a lot of that where the coaches are becoming friends with their players and it's, oh, you're right, mate. And they go for drinks together or they're playing PlayStation together or buying the same types of cars. And he's saying, I don't want to be part of that world. And I think in Africa, we don't want our bosses to be our mates. We don't want our fathers to be our mates. We don't want our parents to be our friends. Everybody has a space. It has its pluses and its negatives. But I think overall, that's what he was speaking to. And I just want to drop that one of, if there's a legacy to his time at Real Madrid, it is what Real Madrid could look like as a team, maybe next season, where you could have Vinicius mm -hmm. and, and Rodrigo and Bellingham and Camavinga and Chouameni and Davis and Alaba and Rudiger. And you would say, hello? An all black team in white kit. Be interesting. That would be a, a Mourinho <laughs> legacy for Real Madrid. <laughs> that would be something. And here's a fun question to end off on. If Jose Mourinho was to take a national job on the continent of Africa, where should he go? Cameroon. <laughs> <laughs> come take us, but we can never pay him. <laughs> don't don't See, come. We're talking about the one million with us. Uh, they wouldn't oh. know what. He was. I would. I would say my my pick would be Al Ahli. They prioritize success. They'd probably find a way to get the money. They've got the fans who give them the love, and they won't complain about the football. <laughs> Zane, just, what? I'll, I'll, let me tell you this, Zane. In that in that interview with Mourinho, sure. Um, Rio said something which made me laugh because they were talking about Champions League now, and he was saying. Uh, you know, now um, the group stages are still going on, but just after the group stages, it's it's going to start getting into the real deal. And I laughed, Zane. I laughed. Because I thought to myself, we were at the FCON. Every game was the real deal. There was, <laughs> there was no waiting. There was no waiting to get through the group stage for exciting football. How, how these guys are being cheated and how we were feasting on a dynasty of quality football. You know, every game was exciting. Every game was off the hook. And in the group stage... Is that because Mourinho wasn't coaching? <laughs> I don't know. But in the group stage, it was such exciting games. And his comment just brought me back to... Oh, group stage football. It's going to be boring. Toast. Well, listen, this podcast is never boring. So it's a perfect place to end it. I will show respect to my elders. Uncle Courtney, Daddy Francis... Thank you very, very much for joining me. It's been fun chopping it up as always. Can't wait to be back with you guys here and keep producing the content. The African Cup of Nations might be over, but we're still going to be here. We're still going to be celebrating our heroes, telling our stories, and bringing you wonderful, exclusive content in ways you haven't had before. So for now, salagashle. Bye-bye.